Hello, welcome to Recovery Internet Radio here in beautiful new Straight Up Studios. Uh, we, this is our first night in our uh, our new digs here, and we had some last minute arranging here, so hopefully you can hear us all right. Um, I'm pretty sure it all is working out. Uh, so welcome to the show. Uh, I'm going to give you to our host. Oh, this is episode uh, again. I didn't I didn't think to keep track, but I think we're at 39 right now. Yeah, 39. Four zero next week, so this That's is right. you know we're coming right coming right along. So I'm going to give you to our host uh, for the night, Mr. Rick Atwater. Yeah. Yeah. Hi everybody, uh, welcome to the show, Straight Stuff on Addictions. Tonight our tag is walking the work life sober life tightrope, and our guest tonight is Eric C. Thanks for joining us tonight, where we are every Sunday night at eight o'clock. Thanks to our engineer, Chris Atwater. Hey, hey, no relation. You <laughs> <laughs> can, guy. Yeah, and yeah, it, you know what? And it, it, it strikes me that it, it is we're we're a little we're echoey, and so I wonder how it sounds to the audience. So anybody who wants to give us some feedback on that, because we're we're in a big we're in a new space, and so yeah, we we'll be willing to take the, we'll take feedback, or we'll you we'll know if you'd like to donate some acoustic just, paneling, you know, yeah, yeah. you can just That's forget fun. about it and we'll be echoey. But, <laughs> um, so we're excited about being in our new place, and um, we've had, uh, the last time I looked, we've had almost 28,000 listens, so we thank you for that, thank you for tuning in and keeping us, uh, keeping us a priority. Um, we really we really enjoy what we're doing here so much so that we, we, we moved over and got some new equipment, and, and so uh, so we have fun doing this, and we, we really like, uh, like getting the message out, too. So you can call us um, if you have questions for Eric C. Um, you can you can call us at 323-792-2977. That's our regular call-in number. Same every week. It's the same number every week. So you could write it on your hand with magic marker, and it would be there next week. Go with a tattoo, maybe. Or a tattoo. Sure. Any way you want to go. Um, and uh, you can also call us during the show with opinions or questions or whatever you want. So... Uh, we look forward to hearing from you. In fact, we'd like to hear from people because we don't know where you're listening from, being that we're an internet radio show. We, we get a number, but we have no idea where you are. So I say it every week, and I'll say it again. You know, let us know where you're coming from and where you're listening from. You can also tweet us at Rick Atwater. It's at Rick Atwater. Right. I, I finally, I used to say at, at Rick Atwater. Yeah, you did. That was a lot. That was one too many ads. Right, and I've I've gotten much more technically sophisticated. You know, just a, just a a little bit more. If you if we'd love to hear from you, if you uh, go to recoveryinternetradio.com, there's a link to our our email. So if you have uh, suggestions for shows, questions, comments, um, hey hey, how you doing? Where are you from? All that stuff. Recoveryinternetradio.com. Thank you. Thank yep. you. Uh, so yeah, that was really and that really was. The next thing I was going to say, so that that takes care of that recoveryinternetradio.com. Come, yeah, we said it a couple of times. We usually say that a number of times during the show, just to yeah, two three, rub it in. Uh-huh. Recoveryinternetradio.com. Arnold, would you? What do you remember the? Uh, do you remember the uh, website? Our website. Arnold's here. Mhm. Yeah. What's our website? Let me tell you, everybody, you got to tune in to recoveryinternetradio.com. There you go. <laughs> Thank you, Arnold. I appreciate it. Um, we have a couple of a uh, couple of quick uh, uh, 
things we'd like to say about some of uh, some of our friends. I think you have a actually you have a, a little plug you want to do for uh, for one of our friends. Don't Absolutely, you? thank you, Rick. Hello, everybody. This is Arnold Schwarzenegger. Let me tell you, if you want to find the best fitness consultant in McHenry County, you go to call Atwater Health and Wellness, providing fitness and nutritional counseling. He offers personalized exercise and workout plans for a substantially healthy body. You're going to call 224-623-4095. And let me tell you about all these things. If you want to get stronger and healthier, you're going to call Chris Atwater. And if you don't, I'll be back. <laughs> Thank you, Arnold. Uh, well said. It's always it's always a pleasure to have you here. Love being here. Uh, we always yeah we always enjoy your, your presence. A couple of other quick things. Uh, we uh, one of our friends is uh, is Dr. Tom Franz with Franz Chiropractic, and he's one of the best around. And his number is eight one five four 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 nine four six six. If you need chiropractic care, call Dr. Tom Franz. He's and, fantastic also. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I think that that's all I'll say for now. Maybe uh, I'll have a few more uh, things to say at uh, halftime. But uh, I think I'd like to get on with our conversation. If that's okay with you, Eric? Sure. Ready to Sounds go? Great. All right. So I think um, so. the first thing I kind of like to sort of start at the beginning and, and uh and I always wonder, you know, since the focus of the show is addictions and recovery related, where kind of where you came from a little bit. Well, I uh, I grew up uh, in northwest part of Chicago, Illinois, a little town called Palatine, and um, and it was a uh, neighborhood that was uh, I like to say is uh, every fifth house was the same. All the models were the same in a little area that I grew up in. And a uh, family of uh, seven kids, um, six lived in the house. But uh, if you can imagine, I uh, I was born and my brother, my oldest brother was 16 years old, uh, already living uh, downtown and going to a prep school. So um, not all of us lived in the house. So, But it's a, you know, a small house, you know, 1,200 square foot home with uh, mom and dad and six others. So we were pretty packed in there. Um, but going back a little bit, you know, my mom was a Polish gal from the city of Chicago, and you know, her father, uh, come to find out, uh, Stash or Stanley, however you want to say, was uh, uh, he was a, he was an alcoholic practicing and drank a ton of years, and uh, come to find out um, that he ended up getting sober in the early days of uh, AA in Chicago, and uh, but only lived a, a couple years, from what we can tell, sober. Hmm. And, what, years, uh, what years were those? Well, That's you an know, interesting story. Yeah, to go back and do some research, I would have to go back and talk to one of my uh, aunts, his daughter, that did get into recovery. Uh, my aunt's been in recovery for 30 or 40 years. Hmm. She's been around a long time. And so, so he probably got, he probably cleaned up in the 50s? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, always... Uh, had kind of some strange stories, as one my my one aunt uh, it relates to me over the number of years of sobriety. Uh, that he uh, was one of those guys that used to feel really uh, remorseful leaving the house because he knew he'd uh, get off his uh, Chicago tool and die type uh, prod, you know job, go to the bar, drink, and then he'd come home and uh, he he was very abusive, physically abusive mm -hmm. to, the, to the the three daughters and. Uh, 
and to his uh, my grandmother, his wife. So not a very very pleasant. A lot of really uh, long, hard uh, alcoholic years with only yet a couple of years of sobriety. So that's uh, what we clear clear know through my aunt and uh, yeah. Not really uh, willing to talk a lot about it. It's a lot of pain left back in the day. I I suspect so. Yeah, I mean, it's not an easy. It's not an easy thing to talk about. Yeah, my it just was something that I never really knew much about prior to my mom. Uh, she passed away when she was 62, mm-hmm. back in '92. So um, she uh, didn't really have a lot of uh, you know patience to talk about her father. Not a, a lot of good history back then. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it makes me. You know, one of the things I, I was thinking about was, it's not the it's not the secrets as much as it is how people keep them. You know, it's yeah. like. So I guess my question is, how did she handle it? If you asked, or you just you just knew not to ask. Um, you know, it just was um, kind of that upbringing where he was just an angry person and we really don't want to talk about it and if you were to ask follow-up questions like what was he like he just wasn't a nice man and we're not going to really ask any more follow-up so um <laughs> yeah it's just but my aunt who uh dismissed was able to share you were dismissed yeah. oh your aunt your aunt was more open about it yeah my one aunt from uh, seattle area so what was it like for you growing up what were what, what would you how would you describe your your uh early yeah, it was, um, you know, just kind of thinking about that, you know, there's heavy drinking on, uh, you know, my mom's side. My mom was a heavy drinker and, you know, my dad grew up and um, one quick uh, story, we went to, my dad was part of 12 kids from Oklahoma. We went to see his brother that was in a, in a uh, VA hospital in Norman and uh, didn't know why he was there because he didn't appear sick, mm. but uh but back in the day, you know, and this is like early 70s, uh, we went to visit him, and um, they he didn't come out ever. So we, we went and talked to the family and the aunt and said, hey, can we bring home, you know, Uncle so-and-so, Uncle Lynn? And she said, yeah, but if he starts acting up, he's going right back. And my dad took the pledge, and uh, he sat in the chair Thanksgiving. And a few minutes later, she said, Joe, it's time for him to go. And we took him back to the VA hospital. He was at home for Thanksgiving for maybe a couple hours. And um, now that I can reflect back, it was just a lot of mystery on both sides. Mm-hmm. Big families, you know, the uh, the average in our family, the guys were living, you know, 55, 60 years old, and mm-hmm. you know, women were living 55, 65 years old. So mm-hmm. I lost my dad early. He was uh, 53 when he passed away, and my mom was 62. Mm-hmm. Just uh, pretty unhealthy. But, you know, so that's the left and right side, mom and dad side of the world, and uh and it was just, uh, I grew up in kind of like the old western cowboy town, you know, where you just, you know, it was suburb of Chicago. But it was, um, it was just, uh, I always look at it, the front door was always open. So there was people coming and going, and <laughs> you come around the corner as maybe a fifth grade or fourth grader, and it'd be uh, 80, 90, 100 people in your home. My older brother was having a party, and it was just, you'd walk in your home, and there would be a lot of people in every room of the house. Mm-hmm. And um, it was just kind of like, holy cow, what's going on? And um, and then everybody would uh, be drinking, and you know, sometimes there would be a helium tank, and you'd wonder to yourself, what's going on? And well, what's going on? Guys were, you know, sucking helium and talking Mickey Mouse in between uh, 
<laughs> smoking bongs and uh, drinking keg beer or whatever was the flavor of the day. So it was a little bit crazy. I had a younger sister and then everyone else uh, older than myself. And um, I've heard you say the phrase growing up animal. Yeah. I've heard that from you. Yeah. It's, uh, you want to elaborate on that a little? Just, um, I think it was kind of a, uh, you know, you like mom would bring home food from the grocery store and it'd be gone in a couple hours. <laughs> you know, you'd eat a lot, you'd take some to your room, you know, you you know, and, and I, you know, I, I don't hold a lot on uh, against mom and dad, you know, process that, but it's, uh, it was just not a pretty picture. I mean, it was um, just a lot of, uh, not a lot of upbringing, not a lot of asking about school, not a lot really of interested of what's going on. Uh, dad worked a lot and, and mom was a drinker. She was a heavy drinker, and she had her days where she was, you know, it was uh, dark in the house. You'd come around the corner, and you'd see the house was dark, and you knew mom drunk on the couch. Mm. And dad was always upset. Dad wasn't a heavy drinker. Dad didn't drink at all for a lot of years that I can remember. And uh, But there was a lot of fighting and hair pulling and, you know, slapping. And, you know, it was a lot of uh, just heavy screaming and abusive stuff. Mm-hmm. And so uh, you just kind of try to, like, stay out of the way of anything or anybody. And uh, and just my my role in the family, because we all had roles, still have them today, if you, mm-hmm. if you think about it, was just to kind of keep peace and uh, do whatever I was told. Mm-hmm. Because uh, someone got caught having a party, that would be uh, some heavy screaming and, you know, hitting and all sorts of good stuff. You know, we, we joke, say good stuff, but it's really, you know, crazy land, USA. And um, so it uh, it just wasn't, uh, you know, but, but boy, when we had a visitor, we used to try to, we had a fire drill to keep the whole house clean. Every closet was jammed with clothes and junk, and and um, but we tried to put on a good front. We I had can, it I all can, going on. I, that's a great picture, a fire drill. I can just imagine. Did you practice? Um, we knew our roles. I remember my sister always had the downstairs, and she had all the stuff go in the front closet. And we all kind of dispersed to our rooms, and uh, and then uh, we came to right at the time when somebody's walking up the sidewalk and uh, tried to put on the best front we had, you know. So I, really, actually, my next question was, what 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 kind of kickstarted you into your own your own addiction issues? But I I guess that you sort of sort of already started to answer that. <laughs> It's yeah. like a way of life, it sounds like. Yeah, well, it's after a while you're picking up beer cans or cleaning up parties, and you're like, well, I think I'll just have some myself. And, uh, but that's, you were the good guy. I mean, how does that happen if you're the good guy? Well, a good guy that decides, you know what, I, you know, I'm just going to drink too because that's what people do. Neighborhoods, and this is what people do in our family. And if you want to have a good time, you uh, you knock down a couple, and it was... You know, I was in a bunk bed, and uh, my brother was dealing dope out of our, our bedroom. And uh, he had probably two or three garbage bags. that had maybe 50 or 60 lids in them each. Back in the day, they are called lids. Mm-hmm. And uh, people would come over every day like a, like, an ex- like a store. So, you know, I decided I'm going to pinch a little bit and see how it goes. And I'm a seventh, seventh or eighth grade kid doing it. So, you know, then, the, uh, as they say, the baby was born. You know, I'm figuring out how I can uh, hang out and get cases of beer on my bicycle from the white hand down the street from you know, our home. And, uh, and you didn't know anything about 
addiction or I mean recovery or any such a thing, right? No, but I um, there was a tragic death uh, in '72. A really close friend, a good kid that lived eight doors down, and um, I had a sister that was out swimming with her best friend. They were boyfriend girlfriend, and uh, as ten year old could be, I was nine at the time. And they uh, fell off a raft in a deep water lake that was right adjacent to our home. And uh, this this uh, high school star, he's a sophomore at uh, the local high school, is a, a standout athlete. And he heard him, and he, and, he, uh, and they were drowning. And he uh, swimmed after him, and uh, they they survived, but he ended up drowning. Oh. And that sent a shockwave through the family in the neighborhood. And and then um, you know. Brothers were upset, sisters were upset, and then my sister couldn't quite get it together, and they uh, they took her downtown, 73, 74, to a... She needed to go away, that's what we were told. Mom and Dad said she needed to go away, and, and she was 16 years old or 15 years old, and so she was gone for six months to a downtown hospital. And this was as a result of the disturbance having to do with his death. Yeah, we believe, but that's the, the way it was painted, but... Just a lot of abuse and drinking and drugging and you know, but that was kind of like, hey, you know what? She felt guilty about the death, and so there's where she went. Yeah, that's so, how it was handled. Yeah, so I was a young kid, you know, twelve, ten. She comes home after being gone six months, and it was shocking because uh, you could tell the medication, and everything she was on. You were just, to my view, it was like, holy crud, which is what's going on. Mm-hmm. You knew she was different. You knew something yeah. was. Something was up. Yeah, there was medication and there was a lot of crying, a lot of tears, a lot of sad, a lot of depression. Mm-hmm. Did you um, have any hopes or dreams or goals when you were a kid? When you were at that at that time or a little later? You know, I uh, my dad was a, a business owner. He was a successful. Uh, he used to write software in early, early days of software writing. Mm-hmm. And he was very successful, owned his own computer service bureau, they called him back in the day. Mm-hmm. And um, I knew I didn't want to do what he did. And that was grind out, you know, writing out in pencil and ruler, you know, software programs back in the day when he used to draw them like that. Mm-hmm. But I had a vision of I wanted to be in sales. Oh. Uh, I started roofing houses when I was an eighth grader. And uh, they used to pay me a little incentive to get to get leads on jobs, and I thought I like this. Mm. And I remember telling him I want to be a salesman rather than uh, because they just started to invent at the time uh, laptop uh, PCs. Yeah. And uh, there was a Japanese company that that uh, gave my dad an idea to be a sales you know organization. So I, I knew when I was a freshman sophomore in high school that I wanted to be a sales guy, and that's. I got lucky because I, I, um, I, I did all my career kind of college and, and uh, anything after that to be around, you know, kind of geared around being a professional salesman. Yeah, it's interesting. Did you notice that your any of your friends had that same clarity of what they wanted to do, or didn't you know? No. I think that's unusual. Yeah, they were more geared at going to, like, big universities, and they had it all going together smart. Mm-hmm. Smart-wise, mm-hmm. I was uh, struggling to make classwork or grades or anything happen. I didn't yeah. decide to go to the university I picked out until three or four weeks before the end of my high school. 
and I got lucky and kind of ground through. And I left for college three days after high school. Mm. And uh, my mom's comment was to me, she goes, why do you want to go to high school? You just want to get away from us, don't you? And that's when I thought, that's odd, Mom. I just want to go to college like the rest of the people in the world. Mm. And um, She really didn't understand. She didn't. She wanted to keep a family together, and mm-hmm. and she didn't believe that, um, you know, if there was a problem being checked out three days a week. So I wanted to get away from uh, it all by, um, I want to go to where there's a society of people that, you know, there's not all this kind of crazy stuff going on. So I remember checking out a dorm room and going, I'll have a place where I can keep my stuff that people won't be stealing from me. <laughs> Did you find that place? That was, I, I used to come back from that class. That isn't necessarily the, the kind of college that I went to. Well, I uh, used to come back after class, and my uh, closet was exactly the same as I left it. Oh, well, that's good. That's good. So you you got a good roommate. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm, yeah, it was different for you. Yeah, it was it was a different style. You know, it, uh, it was just different. It was different than living, growing up cowboy. You know. So, so I guess then we're. Let's 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 shift gears a little bit and and sort of maybe tell me a little bit about what got you to the point where you decided you needed to recover. Well, I was just uh, um, I had some uh, episodes in uh, high school that you know um, I wasn't real proud of. You know, I, you know, a girlfriend would break up with me, and I decided I wanted to give her a long job. You know, that's what people do when you get up resentful. And then I go to play that night back and go, that was crazy. Mm-hmm. You know, I had a couple of nights like that. And then I you realized... Know, everybody might not, our listening audience might not know what a lawn job is. Well, Can you clarify that? Sure. It's uh, <laughs> it's an opportunity to borrow a vehicle of the people you love and, uh, and take it to their uh, lawn and decide to tear up their turf with your vehicle. So <laughs> uh, just a uh, just a real uh, you know something not normal there. Yeah. And, uh, and it was all based on things. Six o'clock, six o'clock. Get your homework done. Go to work, and then get. Yeah, get messed up at the, at the proper time and place. Yeah, and then um, it and just was organizational kind of come up in our later conversations. <laughs> yeah, it was. Uh, <laughs> you think back, it was kind of uh, you know there wasn't a lot of uh, you know getting uh, wasting time. Yeah. But keep up my life here because I ain't going back. I couldn't find people that liked to drink like me out west. They were more physically fit type people, and I wanted to go to a... You were more white wine, and you were more draft beer. Well, they wanted to have a couple pints of beer, and I wanted to have a hundred. You know, I don't. I didn't like just one pint of beer really got things going. But I wanted to keep a lid on it and not act. So I found a, a group, and I played college, and, uh, and, and after California, I played rugby. So I found my group that drank like I did. Mm. Guys from New Zealand and 
in Australia, and, and they came over to play rugby, but they came over to drink and play rugby. So I found my group to drink with, and uh, and uh, you know things uh, things kind of just progressed to where I um, lost my father suddenly to a heart attack, and I, I just I had this idea of I want to go there, and I would just like find a job, and I would leave people, friends, family. Just left California, like, and I made up my mind. And three weeks later, I was moving. Mm-hmm. And so I moved to I moved to Wrigley Field uh, area in downtown Chicago. Uh, three or four months after my dad passed away, and uh, that's when the drinking really accelerated. Mm-hmm. Found some good Chicago corner bars. Mm-hmm. Found a job and uh, found a bunch of friends that I went to college with, and uh, I drank every night. Was there was there any uh, connection between your dad's passing and your accelerated drinking? Well, the first thing uh, when I found out he passed away, um, I decided to go and walk to a bar and meet a bunch of friends mm. and drink and tell them when I got good and buzzed. Mm. So uh, not one of my prouder moments. Both my mom and dad passing away was resulted in me within an hour being at a bar. Mm. So... They, uh, that was the way I responded to everything. Let's 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 think about what's going to happen and how this is going to affect me over a pint of beer. Yeah, it's just it's just the way it was. And so, what what next? So you're in Wrigleyville. Yeah, Wrigleyville, and uh, even my my closest drinking friends were like, um, "Do you realize you go out every night?" And my first thought was, "Why don't you just shut up?" <laughs> I got girlfriends and you know people that want me to be more responsible. Not you, my drinking buddy, turning against me. How were you doing at work? <clears throat> I was going from job to job, meaning I would I would do enough to be three, four, five, six months a year good guy. But after a while, you know, owners and employers were like, "So when is this sales program a year is going to really hit full stride?" Because you're 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 barely hanging on. So I lost a job after heavy drinking. I was doing the old hungover till 11, hit the bar at 3 routine. Mm-hmm. And a guy walked me and said, boy, you got all the skill in the world. You just don't have the results. And they terminated me. Mm-hmm. And I had met uh, my girlfriend. Uh, and, um, you know, I said uh, that day I decided I would go to, I went to like 35 Cub games that year. That could have been part of it. And uh, so I met her in the bleachers, and about halfway through the game, I told her I lost my job today. Mm. And uh, we proceeded to get drunk, and um, she remembers, like, how is that going to work? You know, and I said, don't worry about it. I had this, like... I got it covered. Well, I had this Marlon Brando, Johnny Cash attitude. You know, I was gonna, everything was going to be fine, and all I had to do was just, you know... I, I, was, I felt like I was just invincible and luckiest guy in the world. So... Uh, so then, uh, you know, another job change here, there, and uh, as the end result, living in the city, it was just, um, uh, I just loved to drink. I was a bar drinker, and I loved those corner corner uh, pubs, and um, and she started to get kind of wigged out about it, and uh, finally settled in a job, and uh, we moved um, to the job I have now. I've been there 21 years, hmm. and um, so... Uh, the first few years of the place I was at, it, uh, you know, I'd come home and say I'd be home at six and come home at midnight, you know, and just traveled and 
thought, you know, this is great. I got the ability to go out and drink and sell. And mm-hmm. and I um, was pretty good at selling and uh, keeping a lid on it to a degree. But uh, she was, at the time, uh, we had gotten married, and she was the one that was really taking kind of no, an overall idea of what's going on in your life. And, by you know, her assessment was you spend a lot of time away from me, a lot of time with your friends and drinking. Mm-hmm. She wasn't down for it. And so... She was planning her exit probably six or seven months before I had uh, made the decision that uh, it's been going on too long. You know, one of the things, and I think maybe we'll take a we'll take a quick break here. But one of the things I was thinking about, you said, like you're, you were talking about your work, and somebody said to you, "You have all the skills and potential in the world. You know, you just don't produce." Yeah, and I think. I mean that's the, that's pretty much the theme song for uh, the practicing alcoholic in the workplace. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, we're gonna we're gonna take a quick uh, musical break. We're gonna what are we what are we gonna listen to, Chris? I believe we have a we have a classic Neil Young here. Okay. Old man. Old man. Old man. All right. We'll hear old man, and then we'll come back and we'll continue our conversations with Eric C. You're listening to Recovery Internet Radio. We'll be back with you in just a few minutes. Hope you're enjoying the show.
okay. You got it, Chris? Okay. Thumbs up. So uh, let's get back to our conversation with Eric C. And uh, we were talking a little bit about uh, the beginning of, well, I think where we left off was um, your your wife was planning her exit. Yeah. <laughs> I think that was the, and so, yeah, so, and then, and then, so I want to get from there to, like, your first, like, whatever, whatever you did about recovery. What, how did that work? Well, uh, you know, one thing I'll say about my, my lovely bride, she, um, she came from a big drinking family, too, you know, where they enjoyed and sat in the uh, basements of downtown Chicago housing and uh, drank a few shots and beers over the Blackhawk games two nights a week. So she was okay with some heavy drinking and going on, but she just wasn't down for it every night. So um, she uh, she was starting to make it known that well, we're just not gonna. This is not down. I'm not I'm not ready for this being alone. And uh, she recites a lot of things like knowing every NBA player in the NBA, the Michael Jordan years, because she sat at home most nights watching basketball by herself. <laughs> so these things came out later in the years, but um, mm-hmm. it just that home alone was what was troubling her. And she. Uh, one of the things I do remember was I knew that I had to do something because um, I could see her leaving or, or not us not being together, and I didn't want that. I really, at the time, she was the best thing I had going besides booze. And um, so she, we were sitting in a ch- church pew, and uh, the back of a bulletin said uh, we got this meeting, and you know, uh, people with financial troubles meet at seven, and people that have AA they'll meet at eight o'clock tonight or on Friday nights at this church. Mm-hmm. And I told her flippantly, you know, because I was probably had a half heat on, and I said, I'm going to go to that. She said, sure. Mm-hmm. Right, like a mm-hmm. challenge. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, now as I know, that set the hook for me to go mm-hmm. to defy her rather than thinking about what I was going to do. Yeah, you'll show her. You'll go to an AA meeting. Yeah. Okay. I don't know what that is, but I want to show my more important. It's more important for me to shut you up. Mm-hmm. And that kind of mentality than it is about what I'm about to commit to doing. Right. So I uh, got in the car the next Friday and, and couldn't go. I got a couple stop signs away, decided to go to the bar, and came back. And she gave me that look like, so how was the meeting? And I'm like, I didn't go. And it was like the moment of truth, like, I'll go next week. And she's like, you're not. You're done. You're cooked. <laughs> so I went the next week and I got to that same intersection instead of going right into that bar I went two streets down went into the church and uh, it was like a relief because I knew who I was and I had a group of people that could describe what I was going through and that was I just I wasn't a guy that was just a good guy who drank too much I was a guy that loved to drink and I was risking everything and willing to risk everything and didn't know what it was. Mm. So after my first meeting, I knew that I could at least go home and tell her I went, that I had something that was hope, a little bit of hope. And uh, I went back to that meeting um, for three or four weeks and uh, ran into a sponsor who was a sales guy. So I had some people that were smart enough to go, we'll put Mr. Sales Guy, Sharp Guy, with Mr. Sales Manager and let them work how they get things vetted out as far as, because they knew well the challenges that I was going to have and all the excuses I was going to come up with. And those are those are the, the, those are the things I'd like to, to talk about a little bit. Sure. Because I think that, yeah, 
So like being a business guy and being a newly recovering guy, there's a lot of challenges. I mean, you know, not the travel, the, the you know, the entertaining, the, the atmosphere that you function in every day, the anonymity part that you want to protect, all of that stuff. Can you talk about some of that? Sure. Like what I, it was like for you? In the yeah, workplace? you know, it was, um, you know, when someone calls you a sharp guy that just drinks a little bit too much, you know, you, that's really not a badge of honor because you don't, you know, I just remember thinking, don't call me that. And by the way, I don't want you to give me a nickname and all that control. And I could feel that, like, now that I wasn't drinking, I had to deal with things that were out of my control. Now, my understanding is if, if they call you a sharp guy in the business world, that's a good thing. If they call you a sharp guy <laughs> in the recovery world, that's not a good thing. Yeah, you're on your way to your next drink. You're on your T minus three sharp guy. Yeah, that's the way that works. You're Captain right? Know It All. But when your boss but, goes, you're a, you know, he's really a sharp guy. Yeah. You say thank you and shake his hand and yeah. accept your raise. You know, yeah. dual definition. Man. Yeah, right. <laughs> no, but they hooked me up with a guy that is John P. Since passed away with uh, cancer, but he was a great sales guy, and he he was in the sales of the same type of equipment I was selling mm. previous jobs. And uh, he turned me around in one comment one day, and uh, and I was busting my butt going to work and making. And my attitude was I was making money for my wife, and I was doing all this uh, dedication to support all these people, including my wife. And he said, so if she wasn't around, answer me this, would you still work as hard as you do and try to do all the things that you try to do? And I thought about it, and that moment of clarity came, and I said, yes. And he goes, so stop blaming what you want to do on her and mm -hmm. do things for you. Right. Right. And that was a defining moment for me. Yeah. And what, what, do you, what, what, did, what did you learn? What would you say that the, the nugget there is for... Um, you know, it's very, um, and I want to say this in the most positive way, but it's very uh, low-level thinking to think that you are going to go out and work really hard and long hours because you want to get paid more and you're going to do more for others. Because mm -hmm. most of the family world and the recovery world and the working world, they want you to work smart. Mm -hmm. They don't want you to work long hours, and they want you to produce results, not be a martyr about how much you do all the time and mm -hmm. how much you're giving to this or that or that group. And it's my responsibility as a professional to not be the martyr, but concentrate on how to professionally tie together balance in a life. Yeah, yeah. And that was the beginning. That was kind of the opening for you to learn that. And if you're like most guys... You don't learn it the first time you hear it, or you, the light comes on, but you still have, you know, you have a, a ways to go yet in the process. So what was the so what's the process of get what was the process like for you of getting some balance now? Well, I had to realize that I was, um, you know, I wanted to have a relationship with my kids. I wanted to have a relationship with my. Uh, Children. I wanted to have uh, a successful life at work. I wanted to be healthy. I'd watched mom and dad pass away young, and brothers and sisters have heart attacks at 50 years old. Mm. So I knew there was a lot of responsibility with health. 
And then just be, you know, have balance in those areas, even including, you know, just doing a couple of odd chores around the house. Because a balanced being is a, is a healthy person. And really, it's taken a lot of years, 17 years of recovery, to come to the conclusion that if I'm going to be of service to God, my higher power, I have to be in balance. And it's my responsibility to work at balance in all those areas of my life. You're a guy who... Um, you know, I mean, you travel quite a bit. Yeah, 200,000 miles last year. I flew. And so how do you, what do you do about your recovery when you're, what do you do when you're on the road? I mean, you're international traveling, so what, what do you do when you're in uh, Poland or, or uh, Australia? or? Well, you, uh, you, there's, first of all, lately there's some great technology. Uh, there's an iPhone app that will give you a location of a meeting based on location where you're at. Where you're at. And uh, that's registered through sites, and uh, I've used that quite a bit. Um, but you really have to develop. Um, one of the things I had early in life and early in sobriety is if somebody said to you, tonight you're in Zihuatanejo, Mexico, and I'm going to give you a million dollars if you find a meeting in Zihuatanejo, Mexico tonight, would you find a meeting in Zihuatanejo? And my mentality says, Damn straight, I'd find one for a million bucks. So the thought is, why would you put more value on a million dollars in your life? Just get up and go find a meeting and be wise. So how many countries have you been in in uh, meetings off the top of your head? Oh, probably um, ten, eight or ten. Mm-hmm. Um, and those are most of the major places you traveled. You know. Um, you know, a lot of my trips, um, I tried, I'm a three to four meeting kind of guy a week. Mm-hmm. and uh, But I try to schedule my trips where I can go to Warsaw and back and be gone, be gone three days. Mm-hmm. So while I'm there, I'm working, mm-hmm. but I'm not messing around. It's one of the things I made a commitment to my family is I don't hang out and go see the Great Wall of China for two days. Um, I'll do that when I've got, you know, I'm retired and I can do that with my family. So I bang into places and do my work and get out. Okay. And so I do a lot of fly at night, work during the day, fly at night. So I don't do a lot of meetings um, because it's a language challenge, but I, you know, it's really about where, you know, the time I have. I'm very, when I'm on the road, I'm, I'm either working or I'm flying to get home. Right, and it's not just you know it's not always just the the international stuff. I, I mean, I hear it all the time from guys, you know, new guys who who maybe haven't got their priorities, uh, uh, you know, quite squared away yet. So their work, even if it's local travel, their work seems to be more important somehow than you know they or they don't have their timing right or you know I don't know I don't know what it is, but I mean I'm sure you've heard it too. Well, domestically, I have established relationships um, around the nation that I really enjoy going to meet a friend for a meeting, um, Irvine, California. I've got some friends that used to live here, Pete C. And uh, I'll go out there and we'll go to the Canyon Club in Irvine or, you know, Laguna Nogales or Laguna Hills. And it's really uh, it's just a great feeling to be at a meeting and uh, with a friend and maybe grab dinner afterwards. And that's how I like to spend my nights when right. I'm on the road working. So I really work it hard to be. It's it's interesting for me to go check out meetings and, and be a part of um, the community of 
AA wherever I'm at in the nation, and I can share what we do in Crystal Lake. Mm -hmm. I've learned some things about meetings in different locations that have been interesting to me. So I guess my question for you is how do you get from a guy in early recovery who goes to his first meeting to um, to prove his wife wrong to a guy who um, is committed to going, you know, has relationships with meetings all over the country. I mean, how, how do you get there? Well, yeah, how do you how do you how do you get to there that that place? Well, I think the first thing is I, I really believe um, in uh, having that first sponsor that that just really we we got together on what we did for work, what what our lives were in marriage, and what our what our recovery meant to us. And then it's um, you know maybe it touches into my ego that. I want to be able to be um, saying I go to three to four meetings and not use the excuse of my job or my travel as a, um, there's a ton of excuses, but not one good one. <laughs> I was just thinking, when I maybe, pick up a drink. Maybe it's that, that, that old organized, uh, that old organizational skills that we were laughing about in the first, in the first half that, that comes back to help you, you know? And, you know, I think I, you have to be organized, don't you, to be able to do what you're doing? Yeah, you can't wake up and go, hey, you know, I'm traveling, and I'll, I'll think about getting to a meeting when I get there. I mean, I was in central Illinois, and I uh, was going to a track meet, and I wanted to uh, go to a meeting, but I realized, you know, Champagne's an hour, that's a half, you know, that meeting one there, Mattoon, Illinois, is another half hour away, I'm thinking... You know, I, I got to put some real effort, and this was early sobriety. I got to put some real effort to make sure I plan these meetings in advance. Mm -hmm. And there's just a lot of tools that tell you how to do it and where to go. And uh, I sponsored some guys that went to meeting, and they showed me too. I they go to meetings in Japan, and they they were able to seek it out and, and vet it out and get it taken care of. So it's um, you know that fear of being self-important and, and, and sitting in a, in a meeting in a boardroom or in a client call and just having that become more important than other things that you think, I got this. Um, there's, that, there's that real fear of, I don't want to pick up, and I know if I don't do what I got to do on a daily basis, um, there's an opportunity that I could pick up, and you know that to drink is to die for me, and I believe that. Yeah, yeah, you've got to be, you've got to be, um, vigilant. So another thing that I was wondering about is your definition of success. Has your definition of success changed since you've been sober? Yes. Um, <laughs> you know, I uh, I just remember my dad, you know, God bless his soul, he thought he'd come into a group of, you know, 10 kids sitting on a couch or a bunch of fools sitting around doing nothing good with their lives and He'd say, you know, I've given you gas money, you got cars in the driveway, you got cash in your pocket. How come you're not happy? And he just thought this is the way that you raise families. You just supply them money, and they and they take off and do it on their own. And um, so, you know, it over the years, and I would say more so recently, is, um, you know, I have one person that I have to answer to, and that that is God. Everyone else. You know, there's going to be some, I call them green people in the corner that are envy. They're envious of you, and they think they know what your life is, but they have no idea. I'm going to get up at 
3.30 in the morning tomorrow to catch a 6 a.m. flight. And um, I got to go home and pack tomorrow, you know, tonight. And mm-hmm. so nobody cares about that, but they, they want and think that you have what you have. But it's really a uh, it's really a beautiful thing when you can say, you know, I answer to my God and everybody else. I just try to be in good harmony with. Well, and you you're in other words, you you work hard. You 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 work. It's a priority. I mean, it's something that you do. You're gonna you're gonna do those things, and and it doesn't just appear. Yeah. It doesn't just, you know, your whatever your success is just yeah. doesn't happen out of the blue. Well, I have one thing I hold my hand up every so often, and my my program or my God or my palm. Yeah. And I try to have a good relationship with my wife. Mm-hmm. So I go and I try to have a good health. I hope she's listening tonight because she, she'll get the recording. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure. But I try to, you know, you know, yeah. I, I try to do responsible things to like, you know save money, pay my taxes on time, and be good at work. I call that kind of the, the wealth. And then I try to fix a few things around the house and be responsible in that area. And uh, I try to be a good father. So I always say health, wealth, wife, home. And, uh, you know, the last uh, piece of, uh, you know, being a good father. And, you know, that sometimes I get so confused with everything going on. I have to look at my hand and go, where am I not working? Mm-hmm. So I'm coming home after being on the road on on Wednesday, and I'm, I got a date with my wife in the afternoon. So I have to be able to plan things out. So the the, the real piece of success is to live to the fullest capability that God has given me a chance, mm-hmm. one day at a time, and you know, plan for plane tickets and plan for travel and plan for where I can go to vacation with my kids, but don't forecast anything more than. Just going to bed tonight and having a, a great ride with a good friend on the way home, and just enjoying the in living instead of the doing. I mm-hmm. did a lot of trying to enjoy the doing, and it's really about the living that has been uh, has brought a lot of joy. And so, in the act of doing this one day at a time, I've pieced together uh, you know 19 years of marriage, and I've got a 14 year old and 12 year old son and daughter, and, and you've got relationships with. Those, yeah, and they, um, so it's that's the real, uh, you know, so the money thing is, um, it's all over the world, you know, and, uh, and, uh, and I can understand that people that are really, you know, driving and being hard for it, but, uh, you know, I tell you what, going to a little diner in downtown, hometown Crystal Lake, and just having a cup of coffee with friends or a breakfast with my son yesterday, mm-hmm. that I would rather be there than some mountaintop village <laughs> in Vail, Colorado, singing, you know, how great I am. <laughs> so it's um, it's a little bit about, you know, the song that you heard today. You know, um, you know, my dad, I my dad taught me what not to be. Yeah. Well, but he's a good guy. He just, I was a lot like he was. And so I didn't want to be kind of grown to that old man of just being... I didn't want to sit back and go one day, man, I wish I'd have spent more time with relationships and friends and family and wives than trying to chase that almighty buck. And you've had, and at the same time, you've had a lot of success in in business terms. And, you know, you've had... And you've had disappointments. And I, I wonder, you know, if the... Have, have the disappointments helped you as much as the successes? Oh, I think they've helped me more mm. because um, 
that delayed gratification has been, uh, it has taught me that I am still powerless over a lot of things in my life. And I have to be able to listen, you know, to my sponsor and, and listen to really close friends in my life to talk about things that I think I know, but I really am going to be growing into. Mm-hmm. I've had probably the more challenging years of my sobriety, the last three. Um, and I really kind of enjoy that thought of the, the longer I'm in, the closer I am to my next drink because it's just the exploration of all these deep-seated things that are now coming to mm-hmm. flourish, you know, they, they kind of come to light and you can work on them, you know, and, uh, and just to be able to, you know, understand what joy is or understand what, you know, something like serenity or peace feels like is, uh, is real special versus years ago. I always thought, God, if I only had more money, I'd be happy. Mm-hmm. I, if I, I only had more of this, like that, you know, and then uh, you know what? It ain't. It ain't the case. It ain't the case. So, so maybe we we probably are about the point where we need to wrap. And uh, but I have you know, there's there's a couple other things that are running around in my head. Um, one of them is, is there anything else that you would want to tell uh, a newly recovering? Guy coming into the program uh, who's a who's a sharp guy. <laughs> um, hey, sharp guy. Hey, sharpie. You know, one of the things I've always kind of looked at is uh, you know, um, AA or or a guy that goes out and drinks. Uh, there's just a lot of there's a lot of whoop ass and alcoholic uh, behavior and, and alcoholism untreated that. Um, you know, there is no uh, there is no tough guy that can outlast it. I've seen people do it. I've had friends and guys that have been around that just decided they got too busy and too sharp for it and just went and got their ass whooped all over town. Mm-hmm. And uh, it just is, uh, you lose five, ten years thinking you're going to get back. And I just have seen people that have come back, but they really never, you know, never really got back. And it's just sad. Um so I just uh, I would say that you know I cling on to uh, challenges in life and relationship, and one of the most powerful tools in the world uh, is to know that you can do anything one day at a time, mm-hmm. and uh, dig into some close relationships in recovery, dig into some relationships outside of recovery, mm-hmm. and really um, you know try to feel that you know that that like that loving arms of the program and loving arms of other human beings by just being a good friend. And uh, so I can get through anything one day at a time. And uh, some days I get out of bed and the first thought is, oh, God, I don't want to do this. But I, uh, but you just kind of plunge through and, uh, and and then a brighter day comes. One of the things I really, uh, I really liked about your, your, uh, your description of how you manage balance is, is the hand. Say that again. What's what's in, so it's, what's it's, in the uh, But I, I got to be clear because I once you do it in your head, wealth is really about everything relating around money. It's not about building wealth, okay? But right. it's health, wealth, wife, mm-hmm. fatherhood, and home. What's in the middle? God and program. Mm-hmm. Keep all the fingers attached. <laughs> <laughs> and 
since you have your hands with you most it's a of good the reminder. Time, you can't yeah. really get too you far. Confused, you look at your hand and, and go, okay. If Lefty isn't talking, yeah. maybe <laughs> maybe the right. Well, I, I want to uh, I want to thank you for your insights tonight and the stuff that you've had to say. I think it's been a you know it's it's really good, I, and I think it's really helpful because there's a lot of guys that come into the program that are business guys and that are sharp guys, and uh, you know. And so, yeah. So anyway, um, that's uh, I, I thank you for uh, I thank you for coming on and doing I, your I thing. Thank you for having me. Yeah. And uh, I guess uh, I'd also like to thank our listeners and our studio audience today. Yeah. Bunch of noisy people. My God. Um, and uh, so, uh, thank you for supporting our successful little underground. Uh, radio station here, and uh, we'll email out reminders for next week's show. Uh, as uh, and as always, we try to look at recovery in an open uh, perspective. And remember to check recoveryinternetradio.com for all our archive shows. Check it out. Uh, sign up for our email reminder list. You can do that on our website. Remember too that we want to hear from you, so we know where you are. Pins on a map if you will. And as always, live today, love yourself and your neighbor, and together we'll trudge the happy road to destiny. We hope you've enjoyed the show. See you at 8 p.m. next Sunday night.